So I'm out for a walk here in Washington DC with my dog and uh, all of a sudden everybody around me is now wearing masks. Uh, it was reported today that the White House is going to change its guidance is now recommending that people do wear masks when they're outside in case they're asymptomatic carriers. And I saw that and I thought, well, it's probably for the best, but I don't know where they expect me to get a mask from. They've been sold out in my neighbourhood at least for weeks now, months even. Um, and people are posting guides online about, you know, here's how to make your own mask. And it's like, I don't have a box of rags and a sewing tin at home. I'm not in a Scottish village anymore. I'm a helpless millennial. I live in Washington, D.C. I didn't know that there was going to be a, a sewing component to the pandemic. Oh, Hercules, no, 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 don't eat, don't eat that. Don't drop it, drop it, honey, drop it. Hello, and welcome to Don't Touch Your Face, foreign policy's daily podcast on the coronavirus pandemic. I'm Amy McKinnon. On today's episode, I'm going to take a look at the airline industry, which has already been devastated by the crisis. And later, I'll be joined by John Ostrauer, the editor-in-chief of The Air Current, an online news site that tracks the aviation industry. But first this. The world is changing in ways that affect your life and your business. Do you have the intelligence you need? Now, FP is offering Insider. With a new FP Insider subscription, you will get all of FP's content plus exclusive access to data-driven intelligence, power maps that distill complex issues, in-depth special reports, and conference calls on the biggest stories and trends. Get global insight you can bank on. Subscribe to FP Insider today at foreignpolicy.com slash FP Insider. As countries have closed their borders and banned visitors in a bid to stymie the spread of the coronavirus, it has crippled the global airline industry. Within the United States, air travel was down 90% this week year on year. That's according to the TSA. Already, at least three airlines have collapsed in a crisis which does not look to be going anywhere anytime soon. To explain the scale of the devastation and how air travel as we know it could be changed by the pandemic, I spoke over Skype to John Ostrauer, the editor-in-chief of The Air Current. So John, first off, give me the big picture. So far, what impact has this had on the airline industry around the world? Well, the big picture is there is no airline industry around the world. Uh, that's, that, I mean, the, that's that's being incredibly tongue-in-cheek. There absolutely is an airline industry around the world, and it's still uh, operating um, as best it can. Uh, but demand for those services, for, for being flown from uh, point A to point B, is effectively gone. I mean, we wow. are talking about um, anywhere between, uh, you know, two and five percent uh sometimes conservatively that might be actually rounding up um of the demand for for passenger air travel particularly in the united states right now and airplanes if they're flying are flying uh virtually empty um there are repatriation flights going on so so for example getting austrians home from australia um or uh getting uh, chinese citizens home from uh, from from the Middle East or, or so on and so forth. Uh, those flights, those are the, the most full flights that, that you'll find anywhere. But right now, uh, the global aviation system has never witnessed this kind of sharp contraction. And right now, airlines 
and the aviation business is figuring out how to survive. So the, the airline industry is no stranger to upset, right? There was 9-11, SARS, Great Recession, the Icelandic ash cloud. Does this eclipse all of that? Combined. Wow. Mm-hmm. Easily. I mean, you know, in, during, you know, demand after 9-11 fell off about roughly 30 to 50 percent. You know, we're talking uh, in excess of 80 to 90 percent of demand gone here. I mean, this is this is so unprecedented on so many levels. Um, and, and you know, I, I, you know, look just looking at 9-11, because I think, you know, actually, it's funny, actually, actually as we as we watch this unfold, when we started reporting on this, it looked like, OK, compare it to SARS. And it's like, okay, no, SARS is the wrong comparison, uh, which actually came back fairly quickly uh, mm. after that in Asia. Um, then we like look at 9-11. Okay, is this as bad as 9-11? Yes, this is as bad as 9-11. And then you're like, okay, wait, no, stop. It's actually way worse than 9-11. Then you're like, you know, into the next realm here, which is it's impossible short of, short of uh, you know, a nuclear blast, literally. Uh, there would not there is even that might be more geographically localized. This is the entire world effectively saying we're not going to fly anymore for the time being. And that has never been seen before. So, you know, we're so far outside of, of the realm of, of percept of essentially, you know, quantifiable, you know, there've been scenarios that have been positive. You know, it's okay. What happens if you shut down for, for, uh, you know, 10 days or two weeks, Mm -hmm. but we're not sure how long this, this goes on for. I think that level of uncertainty is driving a lot of a lot of the existential angst within within those that work in this business, with those that lead this business, and and ultimately how to to manage what goes on going forward. So you mentioned there are still some flights flying domestically within the U.S., but they are close to empty. Do airlines have an obligation to keep certain flight routes open at times like this, or? Could they just shut everything down if they wanted to? So it's that's a great question because it's actually it's a combination of a few different factors right now. You know, the the airlines are have all all the U.S. airlines in particular have actually, whereas Europe has actually really set down and and, and shuttered ninety ninety five percent of its operations across the continent. The U.S. has not, and and I was speaking with. Uh, senior airline leaders earlier in the week, and they suggested that the bailout funds that have been provided in the $2.2 trillion CARES Act, uh, the, the funds for the airlines in particular, comes, they, each, they come with, with different uh, requirements. Number one uh, requirement is to maintain wages and benefits uh, for your employees and 90% of your employees through uh, September, so September 30th. The other big part of that was maintaining service to a given city. Uh, so, so on the other side of this, um, it, you still have the continuity of networks, so communities aren't losing air, air access. Um, I think it's, it's not. I forgive the the cynicism. There's also a lot of, uh, no doubt, uh, congressmen who uh, don't want to go to their districts and ask for re-election uh, when they gave a bailout to the airline industry, while the airlines have taken away service to that given community. So I think there's there's a, there's a bit of that going on here, um, from the the justifications from a legislative side for the airlines. Uh, there are, are a whole host of of rules and procedures and policies that are that are not clear that are being fleshed out almost in real time. That uh, I'm, I'm told by folks in the airline industry are causing them to reassess 
their plan cutbacks because they don't know whether or not they will still be eligible or can accept uh, the bailout funds and the, the grants and loans that are that are provided for, um, given the requirement to maintain service to a given city. So there's this there's this weird kind of squishy gray area. Uh, and as you and as we kind of you know the, the next the kind of iteration of this is as you think about kind of a recovery, you you actually have to almost split it in two. You have to split okay how much are air, airlines going to be flying, and by the way burning a lot of money in the process, and how many people are actually going to be on those airplanes. And it's actually in an attempt to effectively preserve the airline industry in this country. The policy, inadvertently, it seems, based on based on the feedback that I'm getting from from those trying to interpret this, actually has created a short term incentive, which is actually increasing the cash burn, not decreasing it for them to save for for later. So it's it's a it's a weird push and pull where the where I think the intentions were were certainly um, geared toward preservation of the of the of the air service structure and the airlines as best as possible. But it has created this unintended consequence. And I think that that's going to be a, a tension that we see going forward. So I just want to make sure I understand this correctly, that to qualify under the terms of the bailout package, airlines have to maintain services to, to cities and keep their staff in their jobs with their salaries and benefits till the end of September. And so because of that, they're having to keep flying, which is costing them more money and maybe speeding their decline, given that there's nobody paying for these tickets. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> when you're speaking to folks in the airline industry, and especially people in the kind of upper levels, do they have a sense yet of what flying and the industry is going to look like once the pandemic is over? It's not clear right now. And I think that's something that they are... They need to size their businesses for the amount of demand there is, and I think what's it you know what what the common theme that that I'm hearing is that there is going to be um, the airlines are are going to be smaller than they were going into this. Um, they may fly to the same number of cities, but they may fly less frequently, or fly with smaller airplanes with fewer seats available. Um, in in all in all likely, the experience is probably going to be. Um, fairly similar. I think where it's going to be changed is probably for uh, for uh, premium passengers. So folks traveling on business, um, I think there are probably going to be, you know, there, there's a big question about, you know, beyond this, about a lot of ancillary services like in-flight internet that actually are not provided by the airline, they're provided by a vendor. And, you know, does that, will that vendor survive if there are just simply fewer airplanes in the air that require the service. So there, you know, there are, there are things that in terms of the passenger experience that are certainly going to change. Um, the, the problem uh, that from a consumer perspective that we're going to run into is that if there is a constraint in capacity, i.e. supply, um, even if demand is significantly reduced against that supply, prices are going to go up. There's almost no way that that's, that's mm-hmm. not going to happen. Um, the question then becomes, uh, what are the economic conditions at the time, right? Because because you 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 if you even if the the, the capacity is constrained and you have you know natural economic forces at play here, you still have to have people willing to pay. Mm-hmm. And I was asked this question um, 
earlier uh, today, which is what is what is going to cause people to come back to flying? And you know, airlines are going to have to offer fair sales and extend the status of their of their most loyal customers. Um, you know, a, a, you know, another year or something to to keep their you know those those perks in play. Um, I think the, the the next big piece of that is uh, people need jobs, right? These are these are these are I mean these are, these are not questions that that the airline industry can answer. These are questions that are part of the broader economy, which are, which which is to say, if people are not employed, they are not inclined to go visit friends and relatives or take vacations. And so, therefore, they would just will not be traveling and moving through the air traffic system in the same way that they did before. Okay. And so what's going to ultimately be the driver of this, and actually this has uh, been consistent throughout the history of aviation, uh, is that uh, traffic growth is about two to three, closer to two times uh, what GDP is. So if you have 6% GDP in China, you have 12% traffic growth. For example, or if you have you know two percent in in the U.S., you have four percent traffic growth. That's been really consistent as an economic measure, um, you know, throughout throughout aviation history. So the same is true, unfortunately, if GDP is in the other direction as well. So that's principally because a lot of flying is discretionary. Um, there is certain amounts of flying that that is absolutely essential. And, um, you know, and this goes for both business and leisure travel. So the, on the leisure side of it, people don't want to travel if they don't, if they don't feel like they're economically secure enough to travel. They can't, can't afford a ticket regardless of the price of it. Uh, and then the next flip side of that is how do businesses treat travel on the other side of this? And, you know, we're all using Zoom and WebEx and, and Skype. Uh, we're using Skype right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're we're not having this this conversation in a, in a in a in a studio. Um, you know, these are the types of transformations that are taking place within the business world. That that, you know, these types of events, whether it's nine eleven, um, the global financial crisis, um, and where we find ourselves today with with the coronavirus, is that it it marks a massive acceleration of earlier trends, and I think we're going to see a lot. And one of the earlier trends was 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 essentially, uh, you know, using technology for telecommunications. And I think that's, you know, there are going to be a lot of businesses that coming out of this just almost by necessity, when you think about, you know, discretionary travel and expense, you know, travel and expense spending, given the state of the economy, they're not going to want to send people in a lot of places. And by the way, they found a lower cost, significantly lower cost way of, of, uh, of doing that through, through again, Skype, WebEx, Zoom, all of that, FaceTime, uh, and I think that's going to be um, a new normal as we as we go forward. So we are on the 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 other side of the peak uh, for for air travel, and you know it's not clear when we get back to zero. We've uh, you know the Air Current has a, has a great analyst that that on on our on our staff um, who is effectively says might be as much as three to five years before we get back to where we were. Um, at the end of 2019. And so it's going to take a while and the industry is going to look a lot different when we finally get there. That was John Ostrauer of The Air Current speaking over Skype. So we talk a lot about the coronavirus on this podcast and it's kind of the whole point of the podcast and it's all anyone can talk about right now. 
But there are other things going on in the world. Wars, political upheavals, refugee crises haven't just gone away because of the pandemic. And if history has taught us one thing, it's that when we're laser focused on one crisis, the next is brewing just around the corner. So to help you keep your eye on the ball, we're launching, while you weren't looking, a new pop-up newsletter on the world beyond the coronavirus pandemic. Head over to farmpolicy.com forward slash newsletters to sign up for free. That's it from me today. I'm Amy McKinnon. Our show is produced by Darcy Palder and edited by Rob Sachs. Our web team includes Laurie Kelly and Kelly Kimball. The executive producer for news and podcasts at Foreign Policy is Dan Efron. Until next time, please remember to cover your coughs and sneezes and I guess wear a mask if you can get your hands on one. And don't touch your face. <laughs> <laughs>